Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Hey, we want to thank you for joining us online once again. We know that you're watching this via uh, YouTube or maybe Facebook. Some of you are streaming this live right now. We're so glad that you were able to worship with us at home online. That's the miracle of technology and the amazing opportunity we have in today's day and age. That Even though we are not allowed to gather together, um, we can gather in homes all around our city. So with what's going on, we want to update you on some of the things happening still here at Project Church, even in this season. First of all, um, we are in this building, which is getting close to completion. And we want to thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for those of you that have gone above and beyond over these last, man, 12 months since we purchased this building. But we are just a few short months away. We think we're about two months away from completing the downstairs. In fact, construction's happening. Walls are going up. It's an incredible time that we're in. Um, but we, we have just a little ways to go. This is the final push mm -hmm. so we can finish this project. So we have about $150,000 more to raise so that we can have this place fully furnished. I'm talking about chairs, audiovisual, coffee shop, everything we need to move in and be ready to go um, in just a few weeks. So... We want to ask you that you would give. You have a few ways you can give. The links will be below, uh, but you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give, or you can text a dollar amount to 84321, and those are just a couple ways that you can give. This is a great time, too, that I encourage you with us maybe meeting um, in different locations or at home for the next few weeks that you would set up maybe recurring giving. That's something Chrissy and I have done, and uh, we found in our lives that we don't have a faithfulness issue when it comes to giving. We have a forgetfulness issue, and often I want to give, but I forget to give. And so I just encourage you, this is a great time with us not meeting collectively, um, that you would maybe set up recurring giving. You can do that online as well. So thank you guys so much. A few people have been asking us about community groups, um, and we want to let you know those are still going. So during the week, we have groups meeting all over the city, and we want to tell you these are still going on, and it's actually a great time to jump in. These are smaller groups. They're taking all precautions necessary, cleaning, we're making sure we're not touching, but uh, we are meeting together, studying the word of God together, being encouraged, and so I want to invite you to jump in on a group. If you'd like to join a group, you can actually text right now Project Groups to 97,000. That's Project Groups to 97,000. You'll get the link with all the different groups that are meeting all over the city. It's a great time to jump in. We actually just had five new groups launched last week, so if you're interested, Groups are still happening. The final thing I want to update you on before Chrissy brings an amazing message is what's happening uh, with the coronavirus and what's happening with our church gathering together. So we're not meeting today, and then most likely we'll not be meeting next week. We'll update you this week, so make sure you stay tuned to our Instagram, our Facebook, um, our website, projectchurch.com. We'll be putting up regular updates. But I'm guessing, and most likely with how things are going, we won't be meeting next week, March 22nd, either. Um, and then we'll probably do something like this again online. But we'll be updating you this week, letting you know what's happening, all that's going on. It's a crazy season. We know there's a lot of fear happening. But we just want to encourage you that your faith would be built in this season. We know that God wasn't caught off guard by this. He knew this was coming. And we yeah. think this is going to be the church's finest hour, yeah. where the church is actually going to show up, step up in generosity, yeah. in hope, in love. We're there for people. We're loving on people. And uh, we want to let you know we're still here for you. So if you need anything, feel free to reach out to us. You can reach out through us through, 
out to us through our website. If you need prayer, you can also reach out to us through, your, through our website. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to support you in this time. But we know God's in control. Mm -hmm. We know that the best is still yet to come. And we know that this too will pass. Mm -hmm. um, this virus that has shut everything down, mm -hmm. um, we know it will pass. And in not very long, it will be a thing of the past. And we'll be looking back and saying, look all that God did through that. Yeah. And so I would encourage you to make the most of this season. My wife yeah. and I have been spending a little more time um, with our kids, knowing they're going to be home for at least this next week, um, mm -hmm. spending more time talking about the word. We were worshiping together last night, mm -hmm. sitting around the piano, um, just really talking to them about more of the things of God. So I'd encourage you, maximize this time yeah. with your family. We're all having to slow down, which is actually really cool. Um, sometimes God uses things like this yeah. to slow us down, to get our attention, right. so we fixate back on what really matters. So let's make the most of this and, uh, and really fixate on what does matter most. And that's him, that's who he's given us, and that's being light and love in this world. So mm -hmm. with all that being said, I'm going to turn it over to my better half, <laughs> the co-lead pastor of Project Church, standing at 5'7", <laughs> from Illinois, Chrissy Cole, give it up in your living room. Make some noise. Oh, my goodness, she's the best. Oh, that's awesome. So just so you know, um, thankfully, Caleb didn't just present me in front of a camera. There are lovely people in this room. We're about six feet apart from one another, so it's great. Um, but I'm excited to continue uh, this series that we're in. We're in um, marked, um, marked, the Gospel of Mark, and we've called it Marked by Jesus. We've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Mark, and we're picking up the story after the count of Jesus walking on water. So wherever you're watching this from, turn with me to Mark 6, 49, and we'll be reading to the end of chapter 6. And this is the time where Jesus sent the disciples off on a boat to Bethsaida, and they got caught in a storm, and they're met in the middle of the storm by Jesus, who is walking on the water, and the disciples are terrified. The disciples are terrified. This is something that I think many of us are very um, uh, familiar with, especially considering this virus, that some people are just terrified. And you, you have to understand that when things are uncertain, that's when fear rises. In the time of a storm, the knee-jerk reaction of all humanity really truly is, and we've seen it time and time again, we're seeing it right now, the knee-jerk reaction is for us to choose fear. But with this coronavirus in particular, I wonder if our thinking pattern has started with, oh my goodness, what if I get it? What if a loved one gets it? But here's the thing. I believe that we are deeper souls. Every single one of us are deeper within. There's something internal built in us that longs for a deeper understanding. So our fears may start by saying, okay, what if I get the virus? What if my family gets a virus? And it goes on to, well, well, what if this? What if that? What, what's, what's the point of even living if we're all about to die? I mean, I, I've heard this questioning like going on in people's brains because I believe that we were meant for something deeper and, and more um, internal. So we're questioning things, and it's, it's when um, the storms come that different comforts, expectations, and plans that we have are, are threatened, and in an attempt to, uh, to self-protect and to self-preserve, we choose fear. And so I'm just telling you today that the Lord, that God our Savior is beckoning us in this time to choose faith, to choose faith above fear. When we choose faith, we put our hope in Jesus. We put our hope and expectation back 
on God. And God is love. Here's the thing. God is love. When we have faith, we choose love. It says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When we choose fear, we cast out, when we choose faith, we cast out fear and we say, we say, go to hell. We say, leave this place. You cannot stand here any longer. And so when we begin to partner with faith over fear, we begin to partner with a miracle working God, the one who brings hope amidst the fear, the one who brings peace in the storm. Those are miraculous things. But I'm telling you right now today, as you hear these words coming out of my mouth, I want you to cross over from fear to faith. Cross over from fear to faith. When we are able to cross over from fear to faith, miracles are inevitable. Miracles are inevitable. And so we'll read about it in this story. So let's pick it up at verse 49. It says this in Mark 6, 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, and say that with me, in wherever you're at, crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, Jesus, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Were made well. The key phrase that I want you to hear again in this verse is that they crossed over. This morning, we are crossing over from fear to faith. Because here's the thing, that when they crossed over, the disciples and Jesus, they came on land. So when you cross over, when you decide to choose faith over fear, then you're not in the storm anymore. You don't feel the storm. You don't feel the waver. You don't feel the, wa the waves and the wind. You're no longer uncertain. There's certainty when you cross over. And when you cross over, your feet are on a firm foundation. It's on land. It's not on unwavering, windy waves. And, sh and it's not on water. When you cross over, there is an opportunity for a miracle to present itself. A miracle is at the edge of firm land. Do you understand this? Do you see this, that Jesus and the disciples are about to do a ton of miracles? It only happened when they crossed over. So here's the thing. When I think about crossing over, um, I think about basketball. I think about growing up playing basketball my whole life and learning how to cross over, right? You cross over, you, the, if, for those of you who don't play basketball, you take the ball from one side to the other side, from one hand to the other hand. So whether that's through your legs, behind the back, um, or just dribbling in front of you, crossing over is essential in playing basketball. It's essential to the offense of basketball. And so I've actually recently been teaching my son a crossover. And so when we're, we were playing just the other day in front of the house and we're dribbling and he was practicing this crossover on me. We were playing one-on-one -on -one with my eight-year-old and I was definitely winning. But we are playing one-on-one -on -one and when he crossed me over, all I had to do as his opponent was barely shift over to my left. And I, and I told him this. I said, when you cross over, you have to make progress. 
You have to switch directions because if you don't cross over, uh, you don't do an effective crossover, you, you haven't done anything to the opponent. The opponent is still there with you. And so what I also told him to do is to throw that step back in and create distance after your crossover, step back, and, and allow there to be distance between you and your opponent. And here's the thing, I believe that when we just learn to dribble and we make no progress and we don't move away from the opponent and we don't make space between us and our opponent, then we're not actually making any progress. And I believe that some of us are going through storms trying to cross over and we're, we're, we're making no headway. We're not getting any closer to the basket. We're not juking our, our opponents. The enemy's right there next to us. And so I believe when we are going through storms, some of us are merely surviving the storm. And God's saying, no, I want you to cross over. I want you to make progress. I want you to make space between you and the storm and the enemy of the storm. He wants you to create space. Surviving a storm shouldn't just give you a badge of honor when I made it. No, it should take you to the place of miracle-working promises. That's what God expects of us. That's what God wants from us when we cross over. So this morning... Based on the disciples' experience, I believe that we learn how to cross over from fear to faith in and after the storm. So first, how do we cross over from fear to faith? Number one, we see Jesus. We see Jesus. In the middle of the storms, it's common to lose sight of what's happening around us. Even when we were driving in the rain earlier, it was you, you have to get your, your windshield wipers going and you kind of have to pay attention more than you would on a sunny day. Storms just give us an inability to see totally clearly. And the thing about this story where the disciples are in the middle of the storm, when it says that they were terrified, they weren't necessarily terrified of the storm. They were terrified of the figure walking towards them on the water and it was Jesus. Sometimes I wonder in the middle of the storm, if it's not the storm that's scaring us, it's the, the uh, inability to see who Jesus actually is in the storm. I believe that in the thick of our storms, we're quick, quick to lose sight of who Jesus is. He either disappears and we allow fear to rule in our hearts and our minds, or we minimize who Jesus is in our storm. Are you minimizing who Jesus is in your storm? Are you allowing him to disappear? And are you not calling out to him, the one who is Lord over the storm? Here's the thing, what Jesus does is that he says, um, take heart, it is I. He identifies himself for us in the storm. And the word that he uses to describe himself, it is I, is the same word that we see in Exodus 3, 13 through 14, where God is telling Moses to encourage the Israelites who are in bondage that he is sending himself. He is saying, tell the Israelites that I am sending, I am that I am. The same word that, that says, um, that Jesus says that, fear not or take heart, it is I, is the same word that God tells Moses about himself, that he is the I am that I am. This translated also to Yahweh, to Jehovah. Or when you read your Bible, it's, it's the word that is in capital, capital, all caps locks. Well, that's a total, you know, term that we use nowadays. But in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, it's this awesome, fearsome name of God. The disciples would have understood this particular word. In fact, when the scribes were, were writing the scriptures, when they knew they were going to write the word Lord, they would go and do a ceremonial bath and wash themselves off 
go back, write the word Lord, write that, the I am that I am, and then they would put down their pens, put down whatever they were writing with, and went back to take another ceremonial bath to clean themselves off. They understood the gravity of this, this name, I am that I am. So they knew that when Jesus said, take heart, it is I, they knew that it was somebody coming to rescue them. It was the Lord God who was coming to rescue them from their despair. And I want you to understand that Jesus was identifying himself for them. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you in the middle of your storm. And when we can understand that he is the I am, that I am. He is not the I was. He is not the I will be. He is the I am right now. He's the eternally constant, present, promise-keeping, faithful God. I am with you in the middle of the storm is what he's saying right now, right here. And once you can understand his identity, once you can tap into his power, understand his love for you, his care for you, it, it will erase every single one of your fears. But not until we start seeing Jesus for who he is and listening to who he's identifying himself to be. So if we're going to cross over from fear to faith, we're going to, number one, see Jesus. Number two, we're going to take heart. Jesus says, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. In, we can translate this statement to get a grip. Stop losing your mind is essentially what Jesus is saying. And honestly, we are experiencing that right now. I mean, I know some of you have gone to the grocery stores, you've gone to Walmart, you've gone to Costco, you've gone to Sam's Club, and there is no toilet paper anywhere. People are losing their minds. I'm hearing people having truly, actually truly, I'm hearing people have mental breakdowns, and they're fearing this thing taking over. I've heard of people crying over their elderly family that are not sick and have not been infected, but they're crying over their family that they think are are susceptible, they are more susceptible, but they haven't even been infected by the virus. People are losing their minds. A minister and a doctor in the 19th century, David Martin Lloyd Jones, he says this, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself, is to know how to handle yourself. You know what this means? This means that we need to learn how to encourage ourselves. We need to learn how to just get a grip get a hold of our minds, get a hold of managing those thoughts and that thinking pattern. In Matthew, it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so many people are reacting in fear because the overflow of their heart is fear. Yeah. They're speaking out of fear and they're obsessing and they're questioning, what if this, what if that? And they're sucking every bit of energy that they have out of themselves just by that thinking pattern. And too many of us are yielding ourselves to the fear and God is saying, just go after my heart and fill your heart with whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are good report. Think on these things. David, he's known as a man after God's own heart, gave us a great example on how we can take heart. How do we take heart? How do we encourage ourselves? First Samuel 36 says, and David was greatly distressed. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. You know, taking heart is not finding strength in ourselves. Taking heart is not avoiding a difficulty or acting like it's not there. 
taking heart is posturing yourself in such a way that you are ready to put your trust in God, not yourself. And you know, some people in this atmosphere are just saying, oh, you just gotta stay positive. Just say, I got this, I'm not gonna get coronavirus. But by saying positive and saying you're not gonna get it, that, that is not taking heart. Because here's the thing, I hate to say this, but you could very well get it. All of us can get it. All of us are in gatherings. It, no one knows exactly how you're going to catch it, but it's possible. And what are you going to say then? I got this? That's just ignoring the issue or the storm at hand. Taking heart is number one, praying. Pray, 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 pray. Taking heart is praying. If you're anxious about anything, pray. Pray. Taking heart is getting in the word, filling your mind with truth. Taking heart um, is, is filling your minds and your heart with truth. But also, you know what I do on a very practical level? I turn worship music up. I turn worship music up in my house. I blare it. And you know what? I don't just listen to it. I declare it. I sing along. I don't care how bad you think your voice is. The words out of your mouth bring life or death. You can bring the atmosphere up in the room when you start singing songs off key or not. Like Jesus loves it all. But when we sing his praises, we change the atmosphere and we're taking heart. We're encouraging ourselves in the Lord. We're strengthening ourselves in the Lord. So take heart. And take heart not just for the sake of taking heart. Take heart because you serve a good God that wants to rescue you. He's saying, I am that I am. My plan is to rescue you. My plan is to save you. So if we're going to cross over from fear to faith, we're going to take heart, but also we're going to embrace new direction. Crossing over by embracing the new direction that God is leading you is essential. Earlier in the account, Jesus um, told the disciples that he was sending them to Bethsaida. But in verse 53, they land in a completely different place, a completely different spot. And I wonder if the disciples asked, why did Jesus tell us to go to Bethsaida when we're ending up over here in Gennesaret? Was he wrong? Did I hear him wrong? Um, and I'm sure there's times in your life where you've wondered, wait, was I ever supposed to even be in that relationship? Was I ever supposed to take that job? And you wonder if God sent you somewhere when it all went bad. But I want to tell you this, that sometimes God sends you one way to get you to go another way because along the way, he wants to teach you about his way. He has a plan and a purpose for why he tells you and directs you a certain way. And when you cross over, when you decide to choose faith over fear, when you cross over, we've got to trust and embrace the new direction that he's sending us. God wants you to understand his way. His ways are higher than our ways. And number four, if we're going to cross over from fear to faith, we need to regain perspective. After a storm, we've got to regain perspective and regain faith-filled perspective. A storm, if it doesn't produce faith, it probably was futile. But the storms that God gives us in our life can bring us perseverance and can be productive if it gives us a faith-filled perspective. Verse 54, it says that when they got onto land, the people immediately recognized Jesus. If they immediately recognized Jesus, all these people who were already on land, this is just another reminder that when we are coming out of a storm, we can see Jesus for who he is. So we can't always see Jesus for who he is. Sometimes our, our, our perspective is different. But when we 
when we get to that land, when we cross over, there's people on the other side who are willing to give us good, faith-filled perspective. Even after we've been through a storm, we get sucked back into living in all that happened in our previous trial. So what we need to do is make sure that we regain perspective. You know, sometimes when you go through a storm, you just want people to commiserate with you. And you just want people possibly even to feel sorry for you. And what you need is a new perspective, a faith-filled perspective. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you can receive perspective from other people who didn't walk through the same storm as you. So the people who see Jesus um, for who he actually is could have reminded the disciples that you guys, your hearts are hardened. It says that their hearts were hardened. And these people on land probably could have reminded them of all the miracles that had just taken place before them. These disciples who just hardened their hearts. And you know what I think these people on land could have told them? They could have told them all the miracles that happened. And let me remind you, there were a lot of miracles in the middle of the storm. Some of us need to be reminded that there are miracles even in the midst of our storm. For the disciples, the miracle of Jesus seeing three to four miles away, that's a miracle. Second miracle, miracle that Jesus walked on water. Third miracle, that Peter walked on water. Fourth miracle, that the storm stopped as soon as Jesus was in the boat. Fifth miracle, the miracle of Jesus immediately bringing the boat to the shore. Now, we hadn't talked about that, but think about it. It says that immediately the boat was brought to the shore. And I really think that's some sci-fi stuff happening where the boat just went, and it was a miracle. That's a miracle. And so you need to start surrounding yourself with people who are a community, a faith-filled community that will give you the right perspective. And finally, if we're going to cross over from fear to faith, we're going to partner in miracle work. We're going to partner with miracle. You heard what I said earlier. If we decide to cross over from fear to faith, then miracles are inevitable. But only if we decide to partner with Jesus on some miracles. Crossing over for part, by partnering in miracle work could be listening to other people's testimony and, and, and rejoicing with people and their testimonies and what God's giving them victory in and through. But here's the thing, I've heard a lot of stories and I've heard a lot of testimonies of people who have gone through storms, but unfortunately they become the hero of their storm. I want to remind you that the hero of every storm is Jesus. The hero is the miracle worker and you're the miracle that he performs. He is the miracle working God and I want to make sure that we're not making ourselves the, the hero in our own stories. Sometimes I feel like we say, oh, I went through the storm so that I could help others. Yes, that's part of it, but that's only part of it. What God wants to do is bring to light who he really is. They want, we need to point everybody back to Jesus. The storms that we go through are for the purposes of other people knowing the good news, other people knowing that they can walk closely with a miracle working God. So you might be thinking, so wait, he just wants me to walk through the storm so I, I know him? Let's be clear. It says this in Isaiah, Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. The Lord is waiting to be gracious to us. 
He's waiting to rescue us. He's waiting to lavish his love upon you and his healing. He's the God of justice. He wants to bring your circumstance to justice. That is the God that we serve. He is a good God. So you might be asking, okay, well, if he doesn't just want me to get to know him, is he pleased to meet my need? Absolutely. Does he, does he mind meeting my need? Of course not. He doesn't mind. He's so interested. He's so interested in lavishing his love on you. And is God's working this might be a question you ask, is God's working solely to meet my need? The answer is no. He's not working and he's not at work. He's not a miracle working God just to meet your need. Here's the thing. He's not here just to meet our need. He's here to reveal himself to you. He's here to reveal himself to you. The problem is when God meets our needs, I don't know that we trust in him or, or rely on him as much as we should anymore. If the goal was just for our needs to be met, then I don't think we're seeing Jesus for who he really is. He's more than that. He wants to do above and beyond what you can even imagine for yourself. His plans, his ways are higher than our ways. I believe that Jesus allowed the disciples to go through the storm in order to reveal himself to them, in order to have that opportunity to identify to them that I am, that, that I am. I am the God of now. I'm your ever-present help in a time of need. We can know him. And when we can recognize that the reason we went through the storm was not just so that we could help others to get through their storm. It's not just so that you can help them get through the storm. It's so that you can help them know who they can put their faith in. You can help them know that there's a God who's willing and ready and able to meet your need. That's the God that we serve. It's an opportunity for you to partner with Jesus and see miracles happen in your friends' lives, in your family's lives, in your workplace life. In this world, we can change the world. We will change the world when we point people back to the miracle-working God. Would you bow your heads with me? I just love this opportunity to give God all the glory. He is a miraculous God, and he's wanting to work out in your life. He's wanting to reveal himself to you, and he's wanting to have a relationship with you. He's just waiting for you to know him and understand him, that he's ready and gracious to be a part of the, the trials and, and, and hardships that you're experiencing. But more importantly, he wants you to know that you can trust in him. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of um, fear, fear that you might be living in right now, he wants to meet you where you are at. So if you're in this place or if you're watching this, wherever you're at, I know that um, this is a great opportunity for you to come in relationship and to know a great Savior, a good God, a miracle-working God who wants to work on your behalf. So if you're sitting wherever you're at and you're thinking, man, I want a relationship with this Jesus. I want a relationship with him. I want to know him more. If that's you, I just want you to repeat after me um, in, out loud or in your heart um, these words. First, God, I love you, and I thank you for allowing me to watch this message. But first, I just want to accept you into my life. I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to know a God that, um, that, that, that is, loves me so much and is ready to be gracious towards me. I want to accept you into my life. I believe that you died and you rose again and that you defeated death, hell, and the grave so that I might have life. I believe in that. And I also confess that I have sin and um, I need you. I'm imperfect, and I can't be righteous without you. And so I just um, confess my sin and my need of you. 
give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life that I might give you glory and others could find you because of my life. But God, may, um, may, may I just come into a relationship with you. May I understand who you really are so that my life can be changed. And I love you, and I thank you for this opportunity to pray this prayer, and we seal it with an amen. We hope amen. this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. Well, I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.